Welcome to the Strange Catholics Podcast. I'm your host, Phil, joined as always by Terry in Minnesota with me and Bob in Virginia. We are three distinct voices bringing varied perspectives on the church and the world into the conversation. We want you to join in the conversation. You can do so by going to anchor.fm forward slash strange Catholics and leaving a message there. You may also email us at strangecatholicspod at gmail.com. Please remember to rate this podcast on iTunes or wherever you're listening and share with one person. We used to gather around a table at Caribou Coffee. It's a coffee house in Minnesota in the Midwest. But now we gather virtually in hopes that these conversations will be a light for you as they are for us. Now, let us begin this week's conversation. Welcome to the Strange Catholics Podcast and the Strange Catholics Show. And thank you to the new subscribers because we're growing out there on the YouTube. Please make sure to subscribe. The link is in the description. This week, we'll have Check Out This Church with Bob. He's going to highlight St. Andrew Catholic Church in Myrtle Beach. Our main topic is going to be on an article that we read from Star Tribune about how many older Catholics are feeling left out in some tradition, more traditional-leaning parishes in the Archdiocese of Minneapolis and St. Paul. And our saint this week is St. Catherine Drexel. And Bob's going to lead us off with opening prayer. Thank you very much, Phil. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Gracious and glorious God, thank you for this wonderful opportunity to break bread with my brothers and with all our podcast listeners today. We know you're with us, but we just ask a very special um, request that you be so omnipresent with us today as we're talking about all these serious issues in regards to the Catholic Church, in regards to you, God. So we ask this through your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. And did I screw that up? A little bit, but it's all right. okay. You're still learning. Did, <laughs> through our Lord just Jesus the, Christ, your just, Son, just who lives part, and just, reigns just, with you in unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Yeah, because I think I transitioned differently than I normally would. So just for the listeners, it's always going to be, hey, God, you're great. Thanks for this. Ask for this. And then end. There you go. <laughs> I like it. It's beautiful. But, but you who I, do I, through. I probably didn't That's it. tie all that together. But so. Well said. All right. Time for check out this church, St. Andrew Catholic Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. By the way, those on YouTube can see, and you're going to see the St. Andrew logo here um, on your on our YouTube channel, but you can also see behind me, I am, I am on location in St. Augustine, Florida. So you can see the background St. Augustine right behind me. So here this week for some work. All right. Had a chance to get to St. Andrew Catholic Church in Myrtle Beach last weekend. You know, you always look for some few nuances at every church. It's a, it's an older church, okay. kind of a traditional church, not too big. I mean, it's not really the older style Catholic church, more like kind of in between, but very close to the 
very close to the beach, right, right across the street from the Atlantic Ocean, basically, oh. and and uh, in Myrtle Beach proper. Wonderful, wonderful uh, congregation. It has two Saturday masses, four thirty and six, and they, they have quite a lot of um, elderly folks that attend there. And when I was there at four thirty, it was quite a few. Maybe I should consider myself in that now that I'm approaching the uh, those age groups fairly soon. And that you've recently become a grandfather, you you know, you're not getting <laughs> any younger. Right. Well, I mean, I soon get like the uh, whatever that next level of discounted Perkins, right? For those Minnesota, you know, you get to you go to that flip to that page that says those over this age menu. And I think I I will be uh, graduating to that here in the next couple of months. So they had chimes to begin. You don't always see that in every Catholic church, right? They don't always have chimes. Right. At least that's that pronounced to begin mass. It's a nice feature. Did they have bells yeah. too, or just the chimes? Maybe it was just the chimes to begin. It wasn't really bells. Uh, the canter was wonderful. Wonderful canter. Um, they have like, and I don't know, Phil, if you did some look on their website, they have like four deacons there. I did not like, see that. I looked at like, the about, but I didn't see it that. It was like four deacons. I, so quite a few deacons and the deacon that was there was did a wonderful job did the homily you know and we talked back and forth i'm not saying we did that during mass but uh, around that time about you know the gospel readings that weekend which terry can opine on here in a second about he did uh, i know you did a homily at least in one location that you talked about. So I don't know if you did it in multiple churches or just one, but probably just at multiple, ma- week, multiple yeah. masses. So, yes. um, you know, I, I thought that uh, there was something unique about the deacon's gospel procession as he was going over to read the gospel, but I, I don't remember what it is, but there's something unique about it that I just didn't see every day. Um like I said, the homily was wonderful. It was right on point. And you know what? I was just like, I w- you know, and you guys know how I am on homilies. So the first thing I do is go, okay, what time is it? Right. And, and then I listen for the content and don't just tell me, well, it says in the first reading this, and then it said this in the second reading and the gospel said this. And I'm like, we heard that already, but he did weave it really well. He didn't really make it too much of a personal story little bit. I like the personal story, you know, that's my, you know, kind of give it real to the people, but he did one thing that I love at the end. And as we go forward today, these two things, these three things, I want you to take this away. That is so important in homiletics. At least that's always been my view. And I think you guys agree with that is give them, you know, Hey, we told you this, now we're wrapping up in a conclusion. And as you go away, here are the two or three large points that I want you to take away and ponder. As as one fine professor once told us, what are they going to be talking about at Perkins after Mass? Right? Yep. Yes, very yep. much. Remember it well. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the reason uh, why is because, you know, maybe I'm the only one, but maybe our minds might drift or wander 
possibly. And maybe we have some distractions during mass. Maybe we're holding some of those distractions depending on our age. So it just helps when the priest brings it back around or the deacon. Right. And he, he, he concluded, concluded the homily by saying, as we go into Lent, what can we do? We can, you know, let's, let's think about these things we can do. And we hear that during this time as we move closer to Ash Wednesday and so on into our Lenten period. He also ended with a prayer. At the end, he said, let me say this prayer, which, which I thought you don't see that all the t- very often. So right. it was a nice touch. He did a really wonderful job. So that's interesting. Interestingly, the priest chanted during the consecration, but he was really, it was, he had a good voice, but it was very low. So you couldn't really hear him very well. But I, I thought he did a good job. So it, it was really a nice, homey, small um, church and intimate. Easy. Would you instead of homey, intimate, would you int- say intimate? Yeah, I would say. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So thanks for that. I mean, intimate. It was, yeah, it was a nice little intimate feel. Easy parking. Nice. <laughs> so that's a, that's a always place. a strong point for. Can a you give us like uh, some visual? <laughs> that's number one on my list. <laughs> on the website, I couldn't find any pictures. Can you give us like a, a, a verbal painting of what the nave and the sanctuary were like? You know, it's it was uh, it has a school on the backside. Okay. Um, it is, uh, you know, it's really like a church. You know, yeah. Yep. So it's kind of that, and then with some and some pews, and pretty much no big pillars like you get it maybe a older style. Yeah. You know, like. I got in Albany where I was like, hey, uh, are you guys up there? I, I can't see it around this thing, you right. know, that type of thing. So, yes. So, yeah, it was. Uh, I'm trying to give you uh, trying to think of a church that we've all been in together that would be. You know, it's not as old as some of the churches that you see out in the countryside, you know, where you're at, Phil. Right. And some of the other ones in the rural areas. And it's certainly not modern, Terry, like you're used to um, in the a couple of the churches that are within your your cluster. So it's kind of in between that. So but I'll see if I can find a picture here. I, I, you said you couldn't find a picture. It wasn't on there. I website. didn't see anything on the website on the about or history. They didn't have any images that I saw. That's why I'm just scrolling their front page for those that are watching on YouTube while Bob talks about it. Um, if, you anything... a, if, if you do a Google search, um, they do include photos in the Google search where it gives like, you know, website call, all of that. So yep. there are some photos that I'm looking at right now. You know, and folks, as you listen to this, I would ask you to comment you can comment on how we do these check out this church and what is it you want to see from our critiques. I mean, most of the critiques I do, Phil's got a couple more he's going to do here in the next couple of weeks, but what is it you want from us? We're open to that. I mean, certainly tell me if this sucks and you want something different, you know, we're totally open to that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. See what I mean? It's like a church. It's very intimate. And it has like three three um three sections. So if you're looking at the front section now 
and then there'll be a break and there'll be another section of pews and another section of pews. So the Eucharistic ministers, you know, they, they go a different, so, so kind of do it in thirds. Yeah, it is absolutely. And see how it's very traditional. So it's a little bit, that sanctuary slightly. Yeah, that's nice. I forgot about how nice the stained glass was in the back. And that's where the canter was obviously upstairs. Oh, not beautiful. obviously, but a lot of times it was, I mean, yeah. you get some of the best canter work when they get upstairs and that probably totally the organs, organs up there. Right. Yep. Okay. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to go too far in this segment, but what do you guys feedback if there's any on this? That is some really incredible stained glass. The one that Phil's looking at, I'm looking at a little bit different angle of it, but yeah, beautiful. Wow. And I, I'm a big, personally me, I'm a big fan of the stained glass. Love, yes. love when you can incorporate that into uh, a church. I would agree. Stained glass seems to go well with churches for some reason. Yes, totally agree. Love it. I see what you mean by an intimate nave uh Bob, um, yeah, there are some really, it, it really looks cool, the photo that I'm looking at. And the one that you look, you know, you've got posted here on the screen, Phil, is, uh, that's pretty cool, too. Seems like it's got a, a pretty good um, aisleway. Yeah. Yeah, it, it does. That's what's one thing that you'll remember about this church? Um, I think the intimacy part of it, probably compared to some of the other churches in that area. Yeah. Um, it just seemed pretty intimate. Now there's one in Conway, South Carolina that I've been to that's pretty intimate as well, but it, it was, it was compared to the one that we talked about in Merle's Inlet, which was a larger church, newer yep. church. Yep. This was a lot more, and it was the traditional you know, like wood, older wood pews, you know? Mm -hmm. So those, I think those are the things that really stuck with me. But it looks like lighting and walls, yeah. all that's been updated. It doesn't look like. Yeah, no, I think know. so. Was sound have, okay? Like said, was, yeah, it was good. Except for, I think the priest wasn't, but I think that might've been a microphone issue. I don't think right, other right. than that. Okay. And as far as the canter goes, it was wonderful. And when you get up, get up, get upstairs, it's easier to really project that. Oh, absolutely. And it just reverberates so much nicer over the ceiling, I think. I really like that. But yes. Hey, that's all I have for check out this church. So please check out this church, St. Andrew Catholic Church, right off of 37th Avenue in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And Thanks, now Bob. back to Phil. Yeah, and Bob brought this up, so I think this will be more of a dialogue than, you know, me pontificating for 10 minutes. Um, 20. This, whatever. <laughs> Who's counting? <laughs> Bob, sent over, Bob sent over this article. It's in the Star Tribune. We'll link to, link to it, obviously. And the title of the article is Generational Shift Over Worship Royals Some Twin, City, Twin Cities Catholic Congregations. And then... Kind of the subtitle is many young priests are more traditional, alien, alienating some older church members. 
And the article, I think, does a good job highlighting, you know, what what are the changes, how maybe they celebrate how uh, this new younger priest that's new to this parish um, celebrates mass differently than what they were used to. Um, and how people have responded to that, both positively and negatively. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I really thought that this was a poignant topic because I definitely see uh, similar kinds of things that I've seen from other younger priests as well. Um, not necessarily um, exclusively doing ad orientum, but um, bringing back a communion rail altar rail, uh, bringing back kneelers so people can kneel if they don't have an altar rail, um, more veils on, on, on the ladies, uh, just things that I've seen from around our diocese and the archdiocese, um, and not even just not targeting the traditional Latin mass. There aren't a whole lot of offerings of the traditional Latin mass, um, in the archdiocese. And there's only one offering in the diocese of St. Cloud that I know of. Um, so not speaking specifically to the traditional Latin mass, and I would say more what this article was pointing to were the more traditional, but not traditional Latin mass. So just, um, doing things that maybe, well, that are actually, if you read the missile prescribed to do it this way, they're just doing it that way. Um, and I think like when we went through our formation, we were told this is how you do it. And so then when you do it that way, and then people look at you like, why are you doing it that way? Well, this is exactly what we were told to do. And this is exactly what it says to do, right? Read the red, do the black kind of a thing, right? So again, I'm not going to talk very long on this because I think this should be more of a dialogue because I have probably more of a traditional view than what y'all might, but we that's what the, this dialogue is for. But Sure. I thought it was a very good article highlighting um, people's perspectives when there's a change and just what some people thought or what their reactions were. Um, and in the article, they have a couple pictures uh, just to note that on Monday of this week, yesterday, so today is 2-22-22, but yesterday, Monday the 21st, Pope Francis um, it was released that Pope Francis met with uh, two representatives of the FSSP. They met with Pope Francis and he upheld. So it's kind of a, it's, I would say it wasn't necessarily a pivot from his tra traditionis cursones that he put out in on July 16th. But um, he, he was saying, hey, you guys were founded on this, so we're going to uphold this. So the traditional 1962 missile. Breviary. I don't remember what the other things were, but anyway, so I just thought that was interesting in light of reading this article as well. But yeah, what what are your thoughts, Terry? Well, for me, I I know that in the ACC that I that I work in, we do offer the option of a traditional Latin mass as uh, one of the mass choices on a any given Sunday. Um, and I know it is well attended, and I know that there are a number of younger Catholics that are actually desiring that traditional um, style of Mass. Uh, for me, 
I could go either way, although, you know, learning Latin at my age now, if I had to, might be a little bit more challenging than it was, you know, 10, 15 years ago. But uh, one of the things uh, that I know when I was at a traditional Latin mass marriage ceremony, and this was probably maybe almost 10 years ago now, um, it was a uh, two and a half hour uh, long mass. It was a high mass. And I just really didn't, it, I didn't feel engaged in the mass. It just seemed very distant to me. So based on, and that's the only experience that I've ever had with attending a Latin rite mass. Um, and so it did not speak to me spiritually at that point. Maybe now having gone through formation and learning a little bit more about the basis for the Latin mass, maybe I might have a different viewpoint on it now. Uh, but to me, the priest engaging with the congregation, facing them instead of back to them, um, I enjoy that. I enjoy seeing the priest. It, it, you know, it's more of a dialogue, you know, peace be with you and with your spirit, that sort of thing, instead of, you know, with the priest back to you. It just didn't seem as warm and hospitable. Bob, what, what are your thoughts? So we chose this article because it was very topical. It really has nothing to do with the Twin Cities, Minneapolis and St. Paul Archdiocese. This is something we've been discussing for a long period of time. And I think it's probably more applicable to the West, especially in the United States. And we're seeing a drop in Catholics attending mass. And then this revival of traditional younger priests, uh, maybe in the John Paul II kind of mold that are, let's say more, I'm trying to think of the right word. I mean, more traditional in the sense of the mass sign, more open to pre-Vatican II, some pre-Vatican II Latin mass types of things and some other some other different adaptations, uh, as well as some different managerial type of, of, of types of procedures and stuff like that. But so I think it's common to see this across many dioceses in the United States. Um, and it's true that Phil and I would, <clears throat> we talked about it on the pre-show show, uh, that we probably disagree a little bit. I mean, I, uh, on where we should go, should we be a big tent? I think we're trying to do both things, and this is where this creates this tension, and that's why you see articles like this. And I always get an ulcer about these types of things because I always see it, and I see where things can go poorly, and it can lead to some sort of catastrophic failure for the church, right? You know, a lot of my philosophical friends, some on this podcast and others throughout the church say, hey, we've been around a long time and we've weathered storms much worse than this. And, and that's true. So uh, it is part of our growing process, I think, post-Vatican II. You think about a, a church that's, you know, and... And now we're, what, 50, 60 years, 
almost 60 years. I think probably 2024, right? 1964. It'll be 20 years post Vatican II. So it means taking some time. So we're kind of having some peaks and some valleys and maybe the next group of Pope, maybe not the great group of popes, but next group of priests potentially may be much li more liberal in the, in a mold of Pope Francis, you know, I mean, who knows? So this is a little bit different than we talked on the, on the pre-show, but uh, I, I, it is more about the big tent process, right? And, and this, are we trying to, be so strict in certain regimented way we're we trying to go back to some roots or are we still trying to be something to everybody to try to bring more people in that is the thing that we're trying to balance and i see some repercussions either way yep. if we do one or the other and, and it's hard for us to balance that balancing beam right i think Absolutely. you know phil's much more of hey the line is straight we have a straight line you know what as i've said before and and I've said, okay, well the line's straight. Well, can we can we kind of move? Can we kind of claim some of the area, you know, a little bit to each side of that line, you know, and encompass those people? So I think these are discussions that are had all the time at high levels, and there are ramifications with any of these decisions about, you know, doctrine and what we enforce, you know, because we're lax on some things, we would all agree, right, on some things we're not as, we talked about receiving communion and reconciliation, right? Yes. We're not, we're not, uh, you know, I don't know any priests who are going, Terry, you ain't been here, <laughs> you know, right, right, right. So, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, so we're, there's some things that we've decided to allow for that space around, you know, on each side of the line, mm -hmm. you know, and then if we bring that back in, what will be the ramifications to how many people are in the pews? How happy will they be? As you can see in the article, there were some people that just weren't happy right. uh, with some of those things that have been changing. And then <clears throat> what it does to you know, the resources the church has to work with to stay uh, open and active in many different parishes across the country, across the world. And then all the other outreach that we do in other ministries and helping the poor and stuff like that with those resources that come in from the people that are in the pews, right? These are all ramifications to this. You know, can we continue to have this large tent? And you know what, guess what? If you go to the Lutheran Church, they have this. Um, I think the Episcopalians is a wonderful example of the strain that they've had with uh, ordaining homosexuals. I believe it was the Episcopalian Church, wasn't it? Yes. Um, and then, and then those, and how it broke kind of into that Methodist too, between though. the different Me sect. Methodists yeah, right. have it's had not, the same fissure as well. Right. And I remember the Episcopalians a few years ago, that was a huge issue. And we're not here to talk uh, about Episcopalians or, or pick on them. We're just saying other Christians have had, you know, similar Tension. types of, for, for, you know, for other. So, but it was interesting that the 
the Star Tribune covered that in mm -hmm. our backyard, and I, I yeah. thought it was, you know, very well. Shows done we're talking article. about the right things, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> of course, we're talking about the right things on the strange. And you should podcast. be listening to us. Tell your friends. Share it with them. Rate us five. So one thing that I thought was really interesting, just um, if I had to guess, I could be wrong, but if I had to guess, the person that wrote this article maybe is less familiar with the rubrics. If I had to guess, they probably aren't as familiar with the rubrics uh, that are in our missile, in our Pope Paul VI missile, um, or even the, you know, some a document that might have come out of Vatican II that would give prescription for a lot of these things. So I just thought it was interesting only because I kind of geek out on this. And so I've done a lot of research and prayer with these things. So I just thought it was very interesting. And I just happened to have uh, been at to two parishes in the last week that were um, far more traditional influenced with Ad Orienta Mass and Latin chanting. And it was beautiful. So, you know, th there's there's a perspective I would probably fit into that group of younger people that prefer or drawn more to that tradition uh it feeds my soul and you know my family i think would echo that so it, it, it's a it's different because both are valid right the traditional latin mass or even a more traditional no, novus ordo or you know just the run-of-the-mill no, novus ordo mass all of them all have illicit eucharist you know there isn't it's not an invalid mass but there are a lot of weird things. There was a priest in Chicago. I'll link to a video where he's blessing the Congress, all of those that are gathered um, with the guitar instead of his hand. I mean, it's just a lot of stuff that happens when people start to ad lib a lot. Well, and I, for me, I'm good either way. Latin mass or, the, you know, the traditional mass that we do now. Um, either way, I'm fine, and I, and I don't glean anything more spiritually from one or the other. They're both equal to me, and they're special and distinct in their own ways. Mm -hmm. But I think I certainly can see the argument, which I think was part of the Vatican II discussion, was you know, it's, you know. The, we're we're embracing the world right this is the community and we're we're in prayer together right you know for for the visual person right you can see what's going on a lot better when they're facing you right and you learn a lot more at least i did when i was first before i went to rcia i'd be you know if i wouldn't have been able to see all that maybe it would have been more difficult to be like hey what's going on back there you know mm -hmm. but uh so there's some advantages and disadvantages to both of them so, but well, it's you're always more than just the mass. Guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's more than just the mass, right? It's this is just one thing. The you know the veil, um, other types of things you saw in that article about using the sanctuary for certain things, right? Um, and that and that type of thing. So, I think it's just this, this. Uh, we're going through another period of maybe some more conservative types of priests. And like I said, maybe that'll flow in the next decade to be, you know, uh, more liberal based on the current Pope. 
And then what will we see? Then we'll right. be talking about being which being a way the line will be totally blurred and it'll be way out here and I won't like it either. It'll be too far, you know. So I don't know. Yeah, interesting topic to pray with and contemplate. And hopefully we started a conversation within your own household and friends and you can continue that conversation and give us some feedback like Bob asked. I'd love to hear your comments. And Absolutely. with that, that ends this segment. And what we're going to do now is we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. We're back. We have a powerhouse saint tonight, today, tonight, whenever you're listening to us. Saint Catherine, Catherine Drexel. Take it away, Terrence. <laughs> Thank you, Robert. Saint Catherine Drexel. Uh, her feast day is March the 3rd. She is the patron saint of racial justice and philanthropists. Saint Catherine Drexel is the second American born saint to be canonized by the Catholic Church. This amazing woman was an heiress to a large bequest who became a religious sister and a brilliant educator. Born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on November 26, 1858, Catherine was the second daughter of Hannah Langstroth, wife of banker Francis Anthony Drexel. Catherine was expected to enter high society as an adult. Her father was a business partner of financier J.P. Morgan. Her mother died a month after Drexel's birth in 1860. For two years, Catherine and her sister Elizabeth were cared for by their aunt and uncle Ellen and Anthony Drexel. When her father was married again to Emma Bouvier, he decided to bring the girls home. In addition to their great wealth, her parents were also known for their philanthropic endeavors. The children grew up in a loving atmosphere permeated by a deep faith. The girls were educated at home by tutors, but by word and example, both Emma and Francis taught their daughters that wealth was meant to be shared with those in need. Both parents encouraged their daughters to think of the family's wealth as not their own, but as a gift from God. Three afternoons a week, Emma opened the doors of their home to serve the needs of the poor. When the girls were old enough, they assisted their mother. The couple distributed food, clothing, and provided rent assistance to those in need. The Drexels would seek out and visit women who were too afraid or too proud to approach the home in order to care for their needs in Christian charity. When Francis purchased a summer home in Torresdale, Pennsylvania, Catherine and Elizabeth taught Sunday school classes for the children of the employees and the neighbors. Their practice would prepare Catherine for a life of service with a strong focus on education and attention to the poor and vulnerable. The local pastor, Reverend James O'Connor, who would later become Bishop of Omaha, became a family friend and Catherine's spiritual director. Though she made her social debut in 1879, Catherine never let her family's money adversely affect the way she lived her life and her faith. She was, a, she was an example of a Christian with a proper understanding that the goods of this earth 
are given for the common good. After watching her stepmother suffer with terminal cancer for three straight years, Catherine also learned that no amount of money could shelter them from pain or suffering. From this moment, Catherine's life took a turn. She became imbued with a passionate love for God and for neighbor, and she took an avid interest in the material and spiritual well-being of Black and Native Americans. Her mother, Emma, died in 1883. A year later, while her family was visiting the Western states, Catherine saw firsthand the troubling and poor situation of the Native Americans. She desperately wanted to help them. In 1885, Catherine's father passed away. He donated part of his $15.5 million estate to a few charities and then left the remainder to be equally split amongst his three daughters. Francis set up his will in a way to protect his daughters from men who were only seeking their money. If his daughters should die, the money was then to go on to his would-be grandchildren. If there were no grandchildren, the Drexel estate would be distributed to several different religious orders and charities, including the Society of Jesus, the Religious of the Sacred Heart, a Lutheran hospital, and the Christian Brothers. As one of their first acts following their father's death, Catherine and her sisters contributed money to assist the St. Francis Mission of South Dakota's Rosebud Reservation. Believing that all people should have access to education, she continued the work earlier undertaken by the family of founding and endowing schools and churches for African Americans and Native Americans in the South and in the West. She later visited these establishments by uh, touring them by either burrow or by stagecoach. Catherine soon concluded that more was needed to help the Native Americans and the lacking ingredient was people. In 1887, while touring Europe, the Drexel sisters were given a private audience with Pope Leo XIII. They were seeking missionaries to help with the Indian missions they were financing. The Pope replied, why don't you become a missionary? His answer shocked Catherine into considering new possibilities. After speaking with Father O'Connor, Catherine decided she would give herself and her inheritance to God through service both to the Native Americans and to the African Americans. She wrote, The Feast of St. Joseph brought me the grace to give the remainder of my life to the Indians and to the colored. The newspaper headlines screamed, Gives up seven million. After three and a half years of training, Mother Drexel and her first band of nuns, the Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament for Indians and Colored, opened a boarding school in Santa Fe, New Mexico in 1894. A string of foundations followed. By 1942, she had a system of black Catholic schools in 13 states, plus 40 mission centers and 23 rural schools. Segregationists 
harassed her work, even burning a school in Pennsylvania. In all, she established 50 missions for the Indians in 16 different states. Among the prominent achievements of Drexel and her order is the New Orleans Xavier University, the only historically black Catholic college in the United States. In 1935, Mother Catherine suffered a heart attack, and in 1937, she relinquished the office of Superior General. Though gradually becoming more infirm, she was able to devote her last years to Eucharistic adoration and so fulfill her life's desire. She died at the age of 96 on March 3, 1955, in Cornwall Heights, Pennsylvania. During her life, she had given approximately $20 million to help people in need. Her cause for beatification was introduced in 1966. Pope St. John Paul II formally declared Drexel as venerable on January 26, 1987 and beatified her on November the 20th, 1988, after concluding that Robert Gutherman was miraculously cured of deafness in 1974, after his family prayed for Mother Drexel's intercession. St. Catherine Drexel was canonized on October the 1st, 2000, one of only a few U.S.-born saints and the first natural-born U.S. citizen, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, who was born in what would become the United States, was canonized in 1975. Canonization did occur after the Vatican determined that a two-year-old Amy Wall had been miraculously healed of nerve deafness in both ears through Catherine Drexel's intercession in 1994. St. Catherine Drexel. Pray for us. Pray for us. Pray for us. I absolutely was serious about what a powerhouse saint Kathleen Drexel is. You know, what a transformation for our country. You know, she She was pivotal in that. And her work with the Native Americans, which, by the way, we have some link to because there is a wonderful former monastery that we've been to many times in South Dakota, which was established to help the Native American population in North Eastern South Dakota. Indeed. Wonderful okay. saint. And there's still many schools, especially, uh, you know, many schools around the nation that are still in, still working, still a school which is not the case for many Catholic schools, but many of them still, especially in the New Orleans area. That's right. Great St. Terry. Thank Amen. you for bringing that to the audience today. Thank you, guys. All right, folks. It's that time again. I mean, this is a pretty important time. It's time to rate us five. Okay. Now, I don't care if you're rich or you're poor. I don't, I don't care. Please rate us five. I don't care if if you're from Omaha or if you teach at the Catherine Drexel School on the east side of St. Cloud, Minnesota. It doesn't matter. Rate us five and share that podcast on all podcast platforms. 
Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, all of them out there. Please leave us a comment. You can leave us a comment there. Uh, you can, besides rating, leave us a comment. Tell us what you think on uh, check out this church or Saint Spotlight or other topics or tell us what you like, don't like, all that stuff. We want that. You can do that through that portal or through those portals. Or there's another place that you can do that as well. StrangeCatholicsPod at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash strangecatholics. And if you're listening to us on Spotify, notice the question, the interaction that we're trying to add to the podcast to try and get some more engagement as well. And of course, don't forget to check out our YouTube channel, which is linked in the description. I totally stole that from Bob. He was going to say it. Time for final prayer. I know someone volunteered. Indeed. Let us begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us again to open our hearts to what you are speaking to us and how you're speaking to us through your church. We ask blessings on all those that are listening, that their heart may be ever aware of your will in their lives today. We pray for the protection of life from conception until natural death. Pray for all those that are preparing for marriage, that God would open their hearts to this great gift you give them in the sacrament of holy matrimony. Pray for all those that might be struggling in their marriage, that you grant them the healing balm they require to reconcile. We pray for all those that are sick, all those that need care, and all those that are caregivers. You grant them all the strength, the perseverance, your divine hands working within those that are serving others to guide them and help them all to better understand and heal in accordance with your will. Pray also for all of the people in Ukraine and Russia to be your healing peace and balm that would just wash over them so that greater conflict can be averted. We ask your blessing upon all of those that might be struggling with whatever it might be, with a physical injury or limitation, mental, whatever it might be, Lord, spiritual hurt, that you just open them up to your healing presence. You are the divine physician. Pray for all those that are pregnant or struggling to become pregnant. You just grant them your grace and your peace to understand and discern your will. Pray for all of those that are estranged from the church, that they would find quick ways back to you through your loving service, the loving service of your priests, your deacons, your bishops, and especially all of the lay people. We conclude our prayer with the collect for our great saint that we highlighted today, ever-loving God. You called St. Catherine Drexel to teach the message of the gospel and to bring, uh, bring the Eucharist to the African-American and Native American peoples by your prayers and example. Enable us to work for justice among the poor and the oppressed. Keep us undivided in love in the Eucharistic community of your church. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Amen. Thank you, everyone, for joining us this week. Look forward to talking to you soon. And until that time, love you, brothers. Love you, brothers. Love you, brothers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Strange Catholics. We hope that you enjoyed the conversation and it helps you dive into a deeper reflection and union with our Lord Jesus Christ. If you'd like to leave some feedback, please go to anchor.fm forward slash strange Catholics to leave a voice message, or you may also send us an email at strangecatholicspod at gmail.com. Links will be in the description. Please share this podcast and this episode with at least one person. This will help get the word out and get more people to join into the conversation. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you are listening to us. This really helps the podcast get traction and help even more people discover the peace, love, and mercy that our Lord offers and is longing to offer each and every one of us. Thank you again for listening. Have a glorious day. And may God bless you.